Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have talked for a long time uh, on this show, on other shows and media all over the city about the idea of creating tiny houses. It's something that's been done in other cities to try and help with people who don't have a place to live. And the big problem has always seemed to be, where do you put this? I think a lot of people, as I've said before, and I I stand by this, I think a lot of people agree with the concept. They just don't want it near them, quite frankly. And there may be good reason for that. I want to bring in Tom Cooper. He is uh, he is one of the guys behind this. He's the director of Hamilton's Roundtable on Poverty, and he's a board member of the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters. Tom, how are you today? Hey, Scott. Good to talk to you. Well, good to talk to you. So last week, the Tiny Homes Group, for lack of a better word, uh, you guys found a place. It's going to be, it's on Barton Street. It's uh, We described it sort of between, say, halfway between the General Hospital and Tim Hortons Field in that area. And it's going to be a small lot for 10 or 12 homes. Not everybody, though, when you had public meetings, not everybody is on board with this. And I want to talk about that for a second because whether or not we like the idea of this, should people be concerned, or maybe let me put it a different way, are people wrong to be concerned about what might be in the area if the tiny homes are placed there with the people who would live in those homes? Yeah, it's a great question, Scott. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about this type of project. And we had a great conversation with a lot of neighborhood folks uh, last week. We held two community meetings at Tim Hortons Field and we we heard, we heard uh, that there's concerns about, uh, about people who are already uh, experiencing homelessness, who are, who are in the area and frequenting the area. Um, And we, we really think this project has the opportunity to stabilize uh, the neighborhood and, and maybe find uh, a, a more suitable place uh, for some of those individuals, at least, uh, to be able to stay, uh, particularly this winter. You know, it's freezing out today. Uh, we know it's only going to get colder. Um, so our, our project is really looking to stabilize people, uh, get them a warm space to stay in, uh, while more permanent forms of housing are, are developed. So this isn't a long-term solution at all. This is, this is kind of like triaging, getting people uh, and an opportunity to get a bed, a warm place to stay, a meal, maybe provide them with some wraparound services so they can, uh, you know, pursue whatever uh, life endeavors they want they want to go into next. And 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 so I do think that this could be an opportunity to stabilize a situation that that some folks in that neighborhood are already concerned about. And I think, and as I said before, I, I think many people in this city, I don't know if it's most, but I think many people in this city agree with that concept. They want to help these people. They want to get people off the street. They don't want people freezing on the street. I think most people would fall into that category. The question is, do I want it in the block or in the lot that's next to my house? Because of my concerns about what might happen, you know, we've seen with with tent encampments, we've seen violence, we've seen fires break out, we've seen needles on the ground, we've seen drug use. How do you prevent that stuff from happening here? Because I think that's the number one concern people have. I don't want that stuff being moved into my neighborhood. Yeah, and and absolutely a fair question. We're going to work with the residents who will be living in those in those tiny cabins it may be a matter of weeks or months um, but we're going to be working with them to ensure that they're good neighbors 
and there's going to be security protocols in place. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of fencing around the area. There's going to be um, cameras and, and we're going to have staff on site, which is something that's not there right now. And, and we've had some great conversations with Hamilton Police Services. They, they like this concept. Um, I, I, I don't want to speak for them, but I, I don't think the police are really big on going into parks and, and breaking up encampments. That's not something they want to be doing. They want to be providing the services they're trained to do. And so here we have an opportunity to move people from dangerous situations, whether it's living in an alleyway or or living in an alcove somewhere and, and enable them to have a, a warm place to stay with some staff on site. And I, I think it could be a, a, a better situation than what many of the neighbors have experienced up till now. What happens if, with your plan, let's say person X gets a home, uh, one of these tiny homes, and they don't do what you're asking them to do. They show up and they're drunk or they're belligerent or they're on drugs or whatever it is. What happens? Does that person, are there rules that that person would then be booted out of there? Because that would seem then to sort of be the opposite of what you're trying to do in the first place. Yeah, of course, it's not going to be a situation where, um, you know, you, you make one wrong move and then, and then you're kicked out. Certainly, that's why we're going to have uh, a great team of, of supports uh, surrounding those individuals. Uh, Wesley Urban Ministries has been incredibly generous and they're going to be providing us two full time staff members uh, for the project. And, and, and part of their job is going to be working with those individuals uh, to help to help them, you know, get stabilized in their lives. But in terms of, you know, breaking rules and that sort of thing, the the people who are going to live at the uh, at the tiny cabin community are, are, are going to have uh, agreements they sign and and they're going to commit to following a certain set of rules that anybody living in a community would expect. And you know, when we talk to uh, people who are currently unhoused, that's what they'd like to see as well. They they want to be good neighbors. They want to live with people who are also good neighbors, and 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 so I'm I'm very hopeful that this is a good plan that uh, that we can really use to to maybe model this kind of idea. You and I talked on here months ago when there was a survey done or some work that was done. And one of the pieces of information that was found, which was surprising to everybody, yourself and myself included, was a lot of the people who would be eligible for this don't necessarily want to live right near all the community supports. They want to be away from some of these places. Was there ever any thought given to finding a place way on the outskirts of town, and, and I mean, it sounds horrible even to say it, but nonetheless, way on the outskirts where to, to, to test this project and find out if it works, we're not going to put it near any neighbors whatsoever. Let's put it out yeah. in an industrial piece of land where we can see if this works, and mm-hmm. then if it does, we bring it closer to people. Yeah, I, I, I think that idea has been bandied about a bit. At, at the end of the day, though, the individuals still need to to live in the in the larger Hamilton community and they may need to use services, go to doctor's appointments and that sort of thing. So we need to make sure it's an accessible location as well. So we couldn't have it too far out. But but you're absolutely right. They didn't want to be right in the downtown core because that's where maybe some bad influences that they've experienced have been. So they want some place where they can sort of start anew 
um, maybe get their get their life a little bit more settled and, and stabilized and, and then move into the next phase, which hopefully for many of them will be uh, supportive housing somewhere once once those units become available. Not to uh, put too much on the uh, the new residents of this when it gets going, but w- will it be made clear to them for what it's worth that probably the future of this kind of program around the city is riding on on how it goes with them? So d- don't make a mess of this thing. This is this the future of this is on what you're going to do for the next little while. Well, I, I, I suppose the the group would be in a sense pioneers or testing out this idea. It's been tried in other places and it's been successful, but here in Hamilton, we haven't had the opportunity. So yeah, there is going to be, I think a little bit of pressure to ensure that um, the first residents, you know, are, are amenable uh, to making it a community and, and, and being good neighbors. Um, But yeah, I, I, I don't think we'll be putting, sort of pressure on people to to behave in a certain way um you know i think human nature is such that you know people want to succeed they want to be part of the community and and people who are experiencing homelessness some of them for the first time ever you know just want to get back off the street just before i let you go who there's only 10 homes how do you choose which 10 get these yeah, it, that's going to be a heartbreaking decision, I think, because we've already been re- hearing from a lot of people who, who'd love to have that opportunity to to spend some time in, in these tiny cabins. We're going to be relying our, on our community partners uh, who already work with the unhoused community. Um, so they'll be providing advice to us on, on who would be a good fit. And at the same time, we want to ensure that uh, the people who are living there represent the diverse nature of Hamilton as well. At the same time, recognizing that there's lots of people currently unhoused in that area of Barton and Sherman who, who might, you know, find a lot of value in, in being able to stabilize themselves at this site. Tom Cooper, Director of Hamilton's Roundtable on Poverty and a board member of the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters. Tom, thanks for the time as always. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who, uh, well, we're getting near the end of the year. So the campaign for him to become the Dundas Citizen of the Year for 2022 is going to be ramping up heavily very soon. You will see advertising and, well, actually you may not, uh, but word of mouth, make it word of mouth. His name is Don Robertson. He is with us now. Don, how are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I am great. Are you uh, are you a a, uh, a renewed fan of the CFL after yesterday's game? Um, I'm always a fan of the Grey Cup game. It is more often than not uh, outstanding, spectacular. You can add a lot of um, wonderful words to how the Grey Cup game ends up, and when you compare it to most Super Bowls, CFL wins hands down. You know, it does now. Exciting. Yeah, the last few years, it certainly has been that. Last year, going in overtime here in Hamilton with the Ticats, certainly. Uh, there were some years when the Super Bowl was clearly the better game, but the CFL has has nudged its way back into that conversation for sure with the Grey Cup in recent years. I found, uh, yes, I found the game uh, particularly annoying to watch because of the field. It's, I... I mean, it's the Grey Cup, and I don't know what was going on, but it it, uh, it was less than appealing from uh, a viewer standpoint. I thought, I don't know, 
I might be alone on that. You mean that it was too green? It was too green, and there were other lines on the field. Like, there were still the soccer lines and things. I thought, I actually was watching and thought the same thing. It's for the Grey Cup, you can't erase the other lines and just make it look like a football field. It did seem unnecessarily Canadian. Well, it's not like the game snuck up on them. I mean, they've they've known for two or three years they're going to host it, and... I found the, you know, the the green and it was a bit shiny. And anyway, that presentation should be perfect. They have to get that one right. And that part of it, they didn't. And the other part that they didn't get right, even though they said they sold out, disappointing crowd that it wasn't full. Okay, so I, I'm glad you noticed that too, because I actually texted a couple people last night and said they have announced this as a sellout, right? Because there, there were done. There were clearly empty seats, and and more than a few of them. Oh yeah, there wasn't. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it could have been sold out, but it's kind of like the guy running at phone Com Choice Realty, and I said, all right, well then we'll buy fifteen hundred tickets in a bucket piece. You know, I. But the prices are so exorbitant and when the hometown team isn't in it and it's 175 below zero it's it can be less than enjoyable to go yeah but if you've paid uh, that much money if you've paid that much money even if the riders are not in it do you not still go and say well i'm just going to make a day of it and have fun at the game i mean how why in the world would you pay that much money and i don't even know what the tickets were but if they were like last year's let's say you know between 150 and 300 bucks would you not still go if you dumped $500 into a pair of tickets? Yeah, but my, my and I don't know this to be true because, just because I don't, I, I'm not convinced they sold those tickets at all. <clears throat> and when they announced the sellout, I'm sure they didn't lie about it, but my point was they probably blew a bunch of corporate tickets out just to say they were sold. Like, I don't think they were getting face value for the last 10,000. And I'm not convinced, quite frankly, that uh, an inordinate amount of the uh, Toronto tickets may not have been picked up by anybody. I'm well, sure they're allotted. Once you win, you can, you know, Toronto fans get so many tickets. I mean, Toronto fans don't get a lot of fans, or Toronto don't get a lot of fans in Toronto. So there won't be a whole hell of a lot of them going to Saskatchewan. No, that is that is true. That is one area where they may have fallen short but I you know I, I again I just I, I look at this and I thought it was a terrific game uh, especially the ending of the game um, it's one of those ones people will talk about for all the stuff that happened in the last three minutes it is going to be memorable for sure and if boy you don't know that before uh, you don't know that before the game starts for sh- certainly but if you can't have an easy sellout in Regina Boy, oh boy, where, Don, in the CFL, can you now say we've got an easy Grey Cup sellout? I'm not sure there is a place. No. Hamilton? No. Hamilton, if, maybe? I don't know. If, if, if any place in the league you thought could sell out, even if the home team wasn't in it, I think Regina would be my pick. Um, and maybe my only pick. But you're right. when it's And it's too bad, because the CFL deserves better. It's it's our football. Uh, it's unique, and it, it it doesn't have the cachet it did forty years ago. 
Well, I mean, so uh, Three Down Nation has a report that came out about an hour ago about the TV ratings, the early TV ratings for this game. And in fact, TV ratings were up 7.5% over last year, which is good. And over 8 million Canadian viewers watched at least a portion of the game, which is good. And the average was 3.1 million, which is, this is where when you say it doesn't have the cachet of before. In, 20, in 2009, Saskatchewan and Montreal, so we're talking just over a decade ago, not quite a decade and a half ago, the average was 6.1 million. The next year was 6 million. Uh, 2012, 5.5 million. We're, we're talking, Don, for whatever reason, that in very short order, this game has dropped half of its audience on TV. That's concerning. Yeah, you can't... It is concerning, and there was always an old argument that um, because they weren't televising all the games, you've lost a generation. They use that argument a lot with Chicago Blackhawks, right? The home games weren't on. You lose fans. Well, I, I don't think that's true. And when that lost generation by not having, uh, you know, Ticat games on if they weren't sold out 72 hours prior to, uh, that doesn't – you can't use that argument anymore because – that was two generations ago. So all the games are on. So you're right. It's concerning. But there is so much available yes. on First Sports TV. Yeah, although not on Sunday night at this particular time. So, I mean, it, it's good that they're then. It's not like they would be idiotic to try and do this at, say, 1 o'clock on a Sunday, which I, I thought was a mistake. I, Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the league, when he announced prior to the game that they were moving their playoff games from Sunday, their their Eastern and Western Championship games from Sunday next year, I thought was very smart. Why are you why are you intentionally playing your games at the same time as the NFL? That that doesn't seem smart to me. Do it on a Saturday and give yourself a chance. But lest anyone think that I'm picking one example out of this to make it look bad, that's not. I mean, again, t- 2012, 5.5 million. 2013, 4.5, down then by 2016, it was 3.6. By 2018, it was 3.2, uh, 3.7 again for 19, but 2, 2.9 last year, 3.1 this year. Like it has been slowly dropping, not even slowly, it's been dropping. And, 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 and here's another one, and I know this is not exactly what we're talking about, Don, but the Canadian University Bowl games were on. The UTech Bowl and the Mitchell Bowl were on this weekend. They weren't even on television. Like Canadian University football, the feeding ground for this, they couldn't even get a, a broadcaster to televise them. It was on CBC's website. You couldn't even see the the best four, allegedly. And, and, and here's the worst part about that, is that for the first time in about a decade, both games were competitive this year. One of them was fantastic. Yeah. Laval and, and Western was a terrific game, and it was nowhere to be seen. Like it just—it seems as though football, for whatever reason, our version of football is f- struggling a little bit to find eyeballs. Well, the—I um, mean, their shot probably really is CHTV. I mean, they need an independent, and it's still a bit of a superstation. But you're right, and they may in fact have to buy the airtime help them promote their product. But it is disappointing. I mean, we've got enough all sports channels in Canada that you would hope 
one of them would be picking up at least those games. And it's, but you're right. The NFL has become so huge, so dominant that we used to compare a lot of things to it. And now it's just eating everything up. I mean, it's, um, it's, you can't compete with that. And it's taken over. And I think, I guess the average, it comes down to advertisers, right? I mean, yes. Um, sport, Sportsnet and TSN are, are not saying, you know what? We can get $5 million worth of advertising and make a killing, but I don't think anybody cares, so we're not putting that on. If they can get advertising for an event, it's going on. If it's tiddlywinks. But should there be, Don, any kind of, okay, let me, let me stop for a second. I was going to say, should there be any kind of simply a, a public, service element to TSN or Sportsnet, for example, because each of them has like five or six different channels. You could put Canadian football. So the Canadian football was not televised, the, the, the university bowl games, but it was shot because it was shown on CBC's website. So there were cameras that were capturing the games. So if you had taken though that footage, even if it was only the kind of footage that you would be able to stream online, if you had taken that footage and just placed it on one of those networks' channels, Sportsnet, whatever, TSN5, whatever, you don't have to use all your channels, just give us one of them. Should that be something that we should be expecting, whether it's this or whether it's the Final Eight basketball for Canadian University or whether it's the Canadian University Women's Hockey Championship, should these kind of things be expected? Should we be demanding or expecting this from the national sports broadcasters? Or do they say, hey, look, we're not a charity. We, we have to run a business here, and it, nobody watches and nobody pays for it, so we're not putting it on. I don't, I don't yes, I, I, I think that would be a rather unique idea. The problem is the time to have captured that would have been when the licenses are being granted to say that you need to have so much Canadian amateur sports as, as a component of your broadcasting um, um, lineup. John Levy, when he had the, uh, the score, and they would have some uh, CIS games on and everything else. They weren't competing for CFL rights, NBA rights, or anything like that. So they had some. But the time to have done that, I, I, Scott, I would think, would have been when they were granting all these licenses and said, okay, part of the mandate is you are going to do this, this, and this. And just force them to do it and have them build it into the budget. Like if, if, if having uh, um, those two championship games on, uh, these West University games on, CIS games on, cost them money, well, that's the cost of doing business. I mean, there's things in my business I do cost me money, but I do them because it's the right thing to do. I mean, if you only did what made you money, well, you wouldn't be much of a contributor to the community. I, I, I had someone in the business on the weekend tell me the, the, what they estimated the, co- the production cost to do a game would be. And it was extraordinary. It was way more than I would have ever anticipated. So I don't even hold out the expectation that for something like Canadian University football that you would demand that Sportsnet or TSN roll out the high-definition truck and bring the whole crew and everything. Again, I'm simply saying if you can run it on your website with a bunch of rudimentary, whatever it is, production values, and just 
put that on on the air on one of the channels and say, here it is for people if you want to watch it. You don't have to go digging for it. I, I To me, that seems like kind of the minimum that should be done. But, you know, well, cable, even, cable even for... Cable 14 could do it. Uh, well, they do. They do. Now, if, if, if Mac was in it, I bet you they would have. If Mac was in the Mitchell Bowl or the UTech Bowl and they were hosting it this weekend, I bet you we would have seen it. And you're right. If they can do it, why can the other ch- channels not just take a basic feed? Now, Cable 14 runs on volunteers, and they're terrific. The other the sports channels don't run on volunteers. But, again, to me, it's, you know what, it, it's, it's, it's a public service. And there's a second part to it, Don, that I'm always surprised by. It is building your market for the future, especially if you're TSN. Do you not want to have people know who these athletes are before they come into the CFL so that there's a a building of excitement or a building of brand or a building of player recognition? That seems to me that it's like it's a, it's with U.S. college football, what the NFL does. All this stuff works together. I don't know why you wouldn't say, yeah, we'll put a, we'll put that, even if the quality is not perfect, we'll put it on TSN 5 just so we have it on there so some people might watch. I don't know. seems a missed opportunity to me, but I'm not in the TV business. No, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it is a training ground, and if you do want to do something, and TSN, you know, good for them to try and keep, keep this uh, CFL relevant. Because boy, if one of those two don't, it's a big doo doo. Like it's it's not gonna it's not gonna end well if TSN cut back and they give them a, a pretty health, healthy dose of cash. I'm not sure it's a money maker for them, but they give the CFL a lot of branding, a lot of cash. And you're right, I would agree. Why don't they at least do the university game so that when TSN want to talk about the CFL draft. Somebody other than people that went to Mac and Western and Laurier know who the hell are talking about when they draft these guys. Like it's, it's, I don't get it. We got to take a very quick break. I just wanted this just popped up, and while we're talking, I wanted to uh, share this because I, I I actually checked it while you were talking, and it's true. Bubba, our friend from uh, CHCH, Bubba O'Neill, just pointed out that it is now seven fifty. Well, it's now seven twenty three on Monday. And he says, go check the Argonauts website, which I did. It's, it, it is 24 hours after the Argos won the Grey Cup. And the Argos webpage, when I call it up, does not include a single story about the Argos winning the Grey Cup. It's, I'm, I'm, wow. It's kind of stunning. You, you wonder why there's no fans that are following this team in Toronto you imagine if this was the Raptors or the Leafs or the Ticats or the Bills, like you would have the whole website would be, I, I, maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm missing something here, but I called up, the, I called up Argonauts.ca and here's what I'm looking at. And there is nothing that I can see that says it's the main story is Dinwiddie is ready and Hogan, the work never ends which is uh, getting prepared. And Bethel Thompson's moment has arrived. And Beatty ready for his biggest test. Banks searching for first Grey Cup. There is nothing on here that I can find at all on the Argos webpage that would say that they won the Grey Cup. How is that possible? Well, let me tell you this. 
if the Dundas Real McCoys win the Robertson Cup or the Allen Cup, you're going to see a lot of it within an hour of the game being over. And we're a senior 18. That tells you all you need to know about some of the problems with the CFL. Like we, we have to keep our people informed and it's, uh, it's an opportunity for us that we don't miss. I don't think so, it's a problem with the CFL, Don. Uh, maybe I think, well, it partially this is a problem with the Argonauts. How, how is it possible that the Argonauts who are dying to get people to pay attention to them in the Toronto market don't have a single God, piece? It is a problem for the CFL because the Argos are a member of the CFL. Yes, I know. And they don't have any posting. It is the problem with the CFL, and and the CFL should fine the Toronto Argonauts substantially for not doing the proper job. And if they let this stuff carry on, then they, they then they're going to get what they deserve. And apparently, the Argos do. If you look in the stands, well, that's, if, if that's someone. Insane. If, if someone can tell me that um, that I'm looking at the wrong place, I will happily say where the place is that is uh, that I'm missing. But again, I, I'm at Argonauts.ca. I'm going to even refresh it just to be sure, and nothing pops up. So, you know, if there's an Argonauts page that is hidden. When you go to their website, well, they've done a good job of hiding it then because it's not even, anyway, I just, it's, it's, it's a head scratcher. Anyway, Don, the World Cup of Soccer has begun. I don't know if you've watched any of that. I was watching a few minutes today of uh, a couple of the games in and out was busy, but got to check out some of it. I was amazed though, not just with the uh, press conference that the head of FIFA gave beforehand when he was trying to defend Qatar's human rights record and all those kind of things. But he said, as one of the things he said, and it kind of got buried because he said so many other things that were so outrageous that nobody had time to go through all of them. He said, you know what, if I'd be open to having a World Cup in North Korea if, if it could bring real change to the world. And I'm thinking to myself, and I want to ask you this, do you believe after they've done a World Cup in Russia and now they've done one in Qatar, and he says that eh, I'd be open to North Korea if it would be bringing change. Do you believe FIFA really is putting these World Cups in places that it believes can make world change, or do you believe it's just going wherever they're going to pay the money? You know me. Look at the money. If North Korea, say, we'll give you $10 billion, uh, they're going to say we're going to change the world. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to socially revamp them. We can improve the world. Those guys are, I mean, I just wish you and I owned the FIFA franchise. Now, we don't. So it's easy to be critical of what they do. But it's crazy. I mean, <clears throat> their, their advertising was a billion dollars more than they thought it was going to be because of the local investment from advertisers. This thing is all about the cash. I just, I wouldn't even mind being a guy that had a vote as to where it was gonna go. You don't even need one vote, you can retire. I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, it makes Olympics look like Boy Scouts. Well, I mean, yes, the Olympics does the same thing. And what I always find so intriguing about this is that they always say we're going to change everything. This is, this is going to be the vehicle to bring change. Well, how did, 
the Sochi Olympics change Russia? Did it bring about the kind of change they talked about? Is is Russia now being a much better citizen of the world where everyone is better off and happier and more free? Uh, well, actually, last I checked, they were invading Ukraine. And the Olympics went to Beijing. Did did, did twice. Did, did holding the Olympics in Beijing open up China to all kinds of new freedoms? Not that I've noticed. And now here in Qatar, is it, is, do we expect that when the World Cup is finished in Qatar, suddenly all of these human rights issues that they are talking about are going to be resolved and Qatar is going to be a free and open society in the manner that is being talked about? Not in a million years. It's impossible no. to argue. It's impossible to argue that they're doing this to change the world. It's all about the money. Of course, they're not. But the the, the countries that actually host them are they foolish enough to think that by hosting the Olympics, by hosting the World Cup, that the world will change their view of them? Has anyone changed? I mean, that's got to be the motivation of the host country, right? <clears throat> Uh, the games in Sochi, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Like, does, does Russia actually think the world have a better take or a better vision of Russia because they did that? Does China think that of Beijing? Does Qatar, do they actually think everybody's going to be warm and fuzzy because they hosted this thing? I mean, they're the ones that are as crazy as anybody because nobody's changing their opinion of China, Russia, any of these places, and certainly wouldn't change their opinion of North Korea. The host companies, if they think they're buying favor with the rest of the world, are cuckoo. It's not working, and it's not going to work, and they're not going to fool a damn person. Well, I, I think that the, the irony is I think that in some ways Sochi had the potential to do some of that, and yet then they get caught in the giant doping scandal that they that was you know on an industrial scale, and then all of that is lost anyway as soon as you invade Ukraine. So anything that we may have said good is gone. Uh, it just you're right. It, it it looks like the idea is well we get two weeks or in the case of the World Cup five weeks six weeks of a chance to put our country on display in its best light. The problem is that you don't get to control all of the message. And so when people start asking questions or people start spotting stuff or people start raising issues, you know what? This is not a Broadway production where you get to choose what lines everybody says and you can shape the narrative to exactly the way that you want it to be. So eventually, so it can't work. If that's the point, Don, you're right. It cannot work. If, you're, if anybody's curious how smart the guys that run FIFA are, for the first time ever, Canada will host games, right? Yep, next to 2026. Yep. And it, it's all over North, well, it's all over America, Mexico, right? North America. Yep, so, yep. Uh, yep. And they think, they think that's wonderful, as do I. But I don't. We don't need to sell anybody that Canada is a great country. So, pardon me. Once in a while, they get it right. Not very often. Well, they get it right because I'm sure, and I haven't even looked into this right now. I haven't done all the digging. People have out there who are listening. I have no doubt that what the North American and when North American, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, that combination, there's not going to be any problem making money for FIFA with that. 
This is not about, they're not putting it in a small, benign, but free country that says, yeah, you know what? We only have two stadiums in our country, but you can play the games back and forth. You can alternate. We don't have to have the games going on at the same time. It can work. And, you know, no, they, they, Qatar has built something like six brand new stadiums in a country that will never use these when it's done. They'll never use these stadiums. They'll be having house league kids games in these stadiums when it's done. But they offer, so sure, why would we not, why would we not do it? Well, I can, t- I can tell you how smart they are. You can't even have a beer at a game. Well, you were supposed to. That was part of the condition of agreement. And then all of a sudden, the last minute, no, you can't. So, uh, but you know, it's it, it, the whole thing boils down to you're going to, as you say, you're going to follow the money. A country offered you way more than anyone else. So let's just go there and say, this is all about changing the world. Show me the, you know, that the old Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Let's do the opposite. Show me the change that has happened from any of your previous world cups. How are those, how are those stadiums in the jungle in Brazil? where the, the economy is in ruins. How are those stadiums helping you and changing your world? Show me where the change has happened and maybe I'll listen. But right now it's, it, it just, it, it looks just ridiculous. And now if they say, yeah, I'm open to North Korea. So sure. Kim Jong-un just, you know, come up with 20 or $30 billion and yeah, we'll go there and we'll call it changing the world. Who cares if the people are, whatever is happening to the people there, totally the least free people on planet earth. Who cares? Well, we'll change the world. Hmm. Don, uh, Shane Wright was the Burlington guy who was seen as the probable number one pick going into last spring's draft, fell to number four to the Seattle Kraken and now has been scratched in 11 of their 18 games, has now been sent down to the AHL for a conditioning stint. Is th- when you see this story, do you wonder whether this is a Seattle problem or a right problem or a both problem. Where do you, this just looks like it is such a mess right now that you would have a guy drafted that high that you're not even playing. And even when he plays, he's barely playing. What, what, what are you seeing with this? Well, I, it, it would appear to me that he's not as good as everybody thought he was. And um, because here's what NHL teams don't do. Send real good young high draft picks to the American League, even though they can dominate in the NHL or contribute. I mean, if he's not doing the job, that's where he goes. And I think the reason they have to send him down for conditioning is because if they send if they send him down, he has to go to the OHL. Yes. Yes. Usually he would have to go to the OHL anyway, but this is a, a loophole in the agreement that allows him to do a five-game conditioning stint. Well, the point is, he must not be doing the job. He must not. I mean, he, he should be a top nine forward as a fourth overall pick. And the heir apparent to being number one, I might add, for three or four years. Like, he was, uh, he got the Connor McDavid nod to go into the OHL draft uh, a year younger than everybody else. And so he was <coughs> always supposed to be that guy. And. Three teams that picked last year didn't think he was. No, remember the remember the stare he gave the Montreal yep. Canadiens draft table because 
you didn't take me number one. I'm going to show you. I'm sure the Montreal Canadiens are going to say, well, maybe you're going to show Laval. I, yeah, I, my question though, so clearly he's not, you know, taking the NHL by storm and that that's like the understatement of the year. But if you're Seattle where there is no expectation that you're competing for a Stanley cup this year, and you're probably better off to be competing for the first overall draft pick than trying to finish middle of the pack somewhere, not make the playoffs, but not get a good pick. Would you not be playing this guy just to see if you can get him going and see if he can figure it out. Like what I just, I don't see for a team, if this was the Leafs or the lightning or a team that has aspirations of doing something big, I get it. But if you're the Seattle Kraken who are better off finishing out of the playoffs, why in the world would you not use him and just give him a chance? Well, because if you're trying to build a strong organization and you're trying to build it properly, you have to do the right things. So they have some young guys that they're trying to build something there. And if they don't do the right thing, if they just put right in there because they want them to develop, they're giving them the benefit of the doubt, and putting him ahead of players that should be playing, your whole organization, your whole philosophy starts to collapse around you. If you say, we're going to build it with guys that can play and guys that earn their keep, and you'll earn your minutes, and every coach says that. You know, you'll decide how much you play, not me. You earn your minutes, you're going to get them. And then you start throwing a guy in that everybody on the team knows hasn't earned them and shouldn't be there. Your, your philosophy and your organization collapse. They really probably don't have any choice. They're a young organization, and that's how they want to build this thing. So they got to back up what they've said. They have no choice. And if, and if the guy isn't doing the job, then he can't play. They can't let him play. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's 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 a bit of a mess. I mean, it really is because if you've used, if you're a team, as I say, in their position where you're you're trying to build something and you have the fourth overall pick, and if the, if it turns out that he can't play, and you used your pick on him, shame on you. And and that that to me, Don, is is where this becomes really complicated. You're the guy who's in the hockey team building business. I mean, if the truth is, if it turns out that he is not a guy who can play, yeah, bad on him, but also bad on the GM, bad on Ron Francis for making that pick. you you got to take some of the blame, too. Yeah, but Seattle, by all accounts, uh, were heralded for being able to get him at, at four. Right. Like, everybody's going, are you kidding me? They got Sean, right, at four? What's, what's Montreal thinking? Montreal are crazy. Well, Montreal are, don't appear as crazy as some people thought they were. No, I, I'm not sure that the guy Montreal got is going to change the world either, but he certainly looks a lot more effective right now and well, getting the time too. I mean, they, that's the other thing is, is even Montreal. I mean, there was a lot of question about whether he would be going down to the AHL, and they said, no, we'll keep him because he's at least contributing in some ways. And... That's what I wonder about is if, have you destroyed the guy's confidence by hardly playing him? And then when you do play him, you hardly play him. Would, are you better off to say, even with what you say, and your, your point makes a lot of sense, Don, about you got to earn it, but are you trying to build the guy's confidence and give him a few games of decent ice time and games in a row to say, well, all right, let's, let's see what you can do. And then if after three or four games of getting regular minutes, you still look like you have no idea, then we'll deal with it. 
but confidence well, is such and, a big part of it. I just it seems like you've destroyed it. Well, and and I and you know I probably watched as many Seattle Kraken games this year as most people have. So I don't know what kind of opportunity he's been given. He may have been given ample opportunity. He may have been on the first or second line. He may have been on the second power play unit. He may have been given multiple chances to produce, and he's driven himself down the depth chart. Like, I don't know that. I mean, it depends. You need to be able to follow the whole thing to see where he sits. But I'm sure, like most top picks, he was given ample opportunity to prove he shouldn't be there. Like, they give those guys lots of chances to be play in situations that make the general, pardon me, the general manager and the head scout look good. Yeah. Like make no mistake that those things matter and they want those guys. They want them to succeed and, and they want their coaches and general managers and everybody to look smart. So they don't do this. So they look silly and center of the American league doesn't look good on anybody in Seattle. Don Robertson, always appreciate you doing this. Thank you for uh, taking time on a Monday evening. All right, Scott, I enjoyed it as always. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.